welcome to another episode of Random Trek the Podcast, where I, your host, Scott McNulty, watch a random episode of Star Trek with a non-random guest. Today's non-random guest is David Lore. David, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to watch Star Trek and talk about it anytime you want. Well... You uh, you need to find out what episode uh, for. Uh, of course, in, you know what episode we're going to talk about. So in in, in the abstract, yes, yeah, uh, yeah. in general, in theory, <laughs> seems like a great idea. Uh, David, how how would people be familiar with your your work? Ah, uh, well, uh, probably more people would know me through the incomparable than anything right now. Um, at least listeners of this podcast. Because, yeah, I, I, I appear, I, I write the radio shows, um, and uh, aside from that, I'm a playwright in the real world, and I have a theater company, and do all kinds of theater stuff around the country, and life is good. Perfecto. So speaking of life is good, let's talk about Star Trek, and more specifically, uh, how you were introduced to it, and your interest in it. Would you call yourself a Star Trek fan? Oh, very much so. Um, I don't remember a time when I didn't watch Star Trek or know Star Trek because I, I mean, I grew up in the seventies, so it was on every day, everywhere I lived. And I mean, I had the Mego enterprise action playset with all the action figures and everything from 1974. Um, that was like the big Christmas gift for me that year. I was three, and this is still, I remember opening it. I remember the box design. I, I actually went looking for it a couple of weeks ago to show my sons. And, of course, there's a website that, that is the Mego Museum of Toys, and it's got all the packaging and everything. And as soon as I saw the box and the instruction sheets and everything, it all came flooding back. It was like, oh, my God, yes. So, uh, so I've known Star Trek a long time. So now I have to ask you the question that I have asked everyone. I suppose I don't have to, but I am going to. What would you say is your favorite Star Trek series? It's probably still classic Trek. There's there's just something immensely satisfying about the archetype mm. of of the the trio and then the the ship and the voyage and everything else. I mean, everything that we have comes out of that. And so, you know, I love Next Generation. I love Deep Space Nine. Let's let's talk about the episode that we have been gifted by the universe <laughs> to watch uh, and discuss on this episode. Uh, it is, shockingly, an episode of Voyager. Uh, the random number generator that I have apparently loves it some Voyager. Uh, so it just keeps picking Voyager. And I've said this every show that I've talked about a Voyager episode. Because I did stop watching Voyager at a certain point. Mm -hmm. As did I. And uh, every episode so far that has been randomly selected, I have seen before. Including the one <laughs> we're going to talk about today. Although it makes sense to have seen this one. Because we're going to be talking about an episode called Phage which is a very early episode. It is uh, season one, episode five, or episode four, depending on... Uh, it is technically episode five, because the first episode was a two-parter, so that was one and two. Uh, but if you look online uh, at streaming services, it'll generally show up as the fourth episode, because they show the first episode of Voyagers, the two-parter smashed together. Um, so why, why don't we just dive right in? And let, Well, let's actually, let's talk about Voyager. What, what are your thoughts about Voyager in general? Well, I mean, 
uh, it will always hold a place in my heart because I time the uh, when I when I started dating my wife was just after Voyager premiered. So that's an easy way to remember 1995. There you go. Um, but aside from that, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I I watched the first couple of years, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, Next Generation was appointment television, even when it was not very good, and it was you know, fairly regularly not very good in the beginning. Um, I mean, I I don't think it really caught fire till most of the way through the third season. I, w- I would um, agree with you there. You know, and I, I mean, there were bright spots, and I mean, I love the cast, and, and I mean, right off the bat, as soon as Farpoint had, had aired, I sat down and started writing a spec script on the spot. I was like, okay, I don't know anything else about these characters, but I want to play with them. And uh, so, so, you know, whether it was good or bad, it was just, and, and it was a convenient time where we lived. It was on Saturday nights at 7, whole family sat and watched it. Um, Voyager was kind of a weird time slot because it was on what was on the UPN. It was on UPN. Yes. So it wasn't, you know, it was like one time and that was it. And you couldn't catch a rerun of it. It was just, it was that, that was the time it was Wednesdays at eight. So it was a little odd. It didn't feel right. And so I would miss it. You know, it would just be like, Oh yeah, that was on. Oh, well it's the weekend now. And well, Oh, well, um, so, you know, I didn't watch it as regularly as a result. Um, and it just, I don't know. I mean, it, in some ways, you know, I liked the characters, but I, you know, they weren't as compelling as Picard and Cisco and all there was, you know, there was, it was kind of interesting. And I mean, it was an interesting setup, but they almost immediately go from, Oh, we have to merge these two warring crews together to, oh, everybody's wearing a uniform and they're all getting along. And hey, Chakotay, let's get coffee later. It's like, but you had this interesting dynamic and it's gone. What did you do? It is completely Uh, gone by episode five. I mean, they make some uh, glancing comments about it, but this is a a cohesive crew already uh, very much in the mold of uh, Starfleet um, as opposed to you would think they'd spend maybe most of the whole first season focusing on how these crews are, are ramming against each other because they have so many different uh, different ways about them. Uh, but yeah. No. yeah, it was just, you know, oh, now we're a Star Trek crew. Everybody Done. line up. And, you know, and it was just odd. So, you know, and I, I guess I came back to it. See, this this tells you how how... You know, I didn't even last till Seven of Nine showed up, <laughs> but I came back when she showed up um, because, you know, blonde mm-hmm. and no, no, no. Um, oh, hey. uh, we, I mean, uh, we've discussed Seven of Nine before. She's an attractive lady, but she's also uh, gives a hell of a performance and is a very, very interesting character. So absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that kept me back for another year and a half at least. Um but again, you know, it was just sort of like the writing was a little tired. It was a little, you know, it was sort of like we've seen this. And, uh, you know, I mean, the interesting things, it was, it was like they, they had sanded off all the rough edges. It, it was as if they had forgotten what they learned 
with the first couple of seasons of Next Generation that, oh yeah, it isn't really interesting when everything is nice and peaceful and happy and good. You know, you need a little conflict. You know, it doesn't mean they have to hate one another, but um, it just, I don't know. It just, ah. And then I did finally come back for the finale because I wanted to see how it wrapped up. As soon as, as soon as you sent me the, the email saying, let's watch Phage. And, and the first thought was, I, I vaguely remember that. And this, this might've been the first episode where I kind of went, Oh, Oh no. <laughs> because my first thought was instead of Spock's brain, it's Neelix's lungs. Mm, yes. And that's it. That's how I always thought of it. So when you said phage, it took me a second. It was like, Oh yeah, that my oh. title isn't the real title. <laughs> and I feel like this episode really sums up my whole thought about Voyager, my, all my thoughts about Voyager and my general. Oh, wow. Because I don't think it's horrible. Yeah. Uh, it, is, it is not good. <laughs> it is bad, I will say. Uh, but I think it has such an interesting idea that is poorly executed, and they focus on the wrong things. <laughs> yes. That it is just a gigantic missed opportunity. And I feel like so many Voyager episodes have at the root, like the kernel is a great idea, but then they just kind of screw it up in the execution. Yeah. Um, and But this is the, the first season, so it gets a pass. But, I mean, that that is true of uh, later seasons as well. So it is very sad. Uh, <laughs> but let, let's let's get into this now. All and right. This is also uh, a 47-minute long episode, but I feel like not a lot happens. It's, it's a very <laughs> straightforward – not that there's anything wrong with a straightforward story, but generally you have like an A story, a B story – Maybe sometimes even a C story happening all at the same time. Uh, this time it's all A story, and the A story yeah. is not really worth uh, an A story <laughs> uh, because uh, <laughs> basically it boils down to Neelix's lungs get stolen. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done with Spock's Neelix's lungs? <laughs> That's right, and you don't even have Doctor McCoy to save it. Uh, I know. Oh. So it it starts the episode starts off uh Neelix has uh so you know Neelix is this traitor that ends up on Voyager so he has a bunch of information about the Delta Quadrant and in his travels he came across this planetoid that is filled to the brim with dilithium uh and Voyager is running low on dilithium crystals so they need they need to pick some up so Neelix says hey why don't we go to this planetoid you can have all the dilithium you need and everybody's happy Oh, and also, by the way, Captain Janeway, I turned your private mess hall into a galley so that I could feed everybody uh, food so they wouldn't have to eat rations. Uh, well, and see that, I mean, right off the bat, you know, going into this, I kept thinking, well, you know, it's not Janeway. It's not Janeway that I don't like about Voyager. And it immediately starts in with one of those scenes that just makes me go, oh, dear God, what were they thinking about Janeway? <laughs> she <laughs> because does, it's like she's not happy. <laughs> she's She's not happy. She's, you know. Well, I'm going to have rations and, you know, we'll have coffee later, Chakotay. And she, you know, goes in and she's upset because he's taken over the private dining room. Now, this is not like a pleasure cruise. This is not the love <laughs> boat with the captain's table. No, they're, all, they're lost across the galaxy. They're in dire straits. And, and she's upset because her private dining room is, is taken over for a galley that can serve real food? What is wrong with her? It did seem like so. an odd, odd choice on her part. And yeah, she, she's upset, I guess, because she can't eat her rations by herself. So she has to e eat exactly. with, with the crew. She has to eat real food with her crew. <laughs> she doesn't want to do it that. Was, 
it was just a really strange character choice. And I mean, uh, you know, I, I get again, it's like, OK, let's make some artificial conflict between the characters. But, the, you know, they just didn't think through the logic of it. I mean, I hate to say logic, but <laughs> yes, it's, well, that's it what should it be internally consistent. Right. And uh, yeah. Yeah. You feel like she might be a little perturbed, uh, but she is a lot more than a little perturbed at the beginning. But she does, to to the character's credit, she does say, "Yes, well, all yes. right, this this does make sense." Uh, uh, but she does say, "Hey, who gave you permission to do this, Neelix?" And he is like, <laughs> uh, "Nobody. I just kind of did it. Uh, here's some eggs." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so they 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 are nearing the planetoid. Uh, so off they go to the bridge. They scan the planetoid. Oh my goodness, there's lots of ore down there. Uh, so let's do the only reasonable thing and send only three people <laughs> into this unexplored planetoid. Uh, and let's not give them weapons. We'll just send them down with tricorders and wrist-mounted flashlights. Because what could go wrong? And this is... I was perplexed by this uh, thing because immediately they beam down and they immediately split up. And so playing D&D... Uh, you know there is a golden rule. You never split the party. That's right. Because bad things happen. <laughs> and so they split into three, which is even worse than splitting into two. And I thought to myself, well, why wouldn't they just beam down six people, and then at least you'd have the buddy system, and That's so right. you, you could back each other up. Uh, but they don't do that. They just send down Neelix, who basically weasels his way into the mission, Chakotay, and the ever-lovable lo- Harry Kim. Harry Kim. Harry Kim, who doesn't really do anything <laughs> except scan a wall. He scans a wall a lot. <laughs> Last uh, episode of Voyager I talked uh, about, he was scanning a wall. <laughs> well, you know, he, he fills that niche. That, that's, Harry Kim may not be able to do many things, but he scans a damn fine <laughs> wall. Uh, and oh no, they split up and uh, they they don't seem to find any... Uh, well, actually, that's not true. They 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 seem to think that dilithium's everywhere. So they walk around. Uh, Neelix goes down this corridor because they're all alone. And behind him, we see a kind of cool effect. Of the part of the corridor uh, shimmers away, and there's a like they're they're in a natural cavern, and then uh, uh, a obviously constructed corridor appears, and some mm. kind of strange, mysterious person uh, walks in to the frame and looks at Neelix and uh, sneaks behind him. And uh, that's the beginning, the teaser. (laughs) And see, it makes it sound like so much happens because we still haven't gotten to the opening credits. But but not much has happened. They beam down to a planet. (laughs) We've seen a door open and some mysterious person come by. And they've made the stupid uh, decision to split up. That's it. (laughs) And now we find out that uh, Chakotay has arrived where he thinks there should be a huge dilithium deposit. Uh, And his tricorder tells him there's dilithium everywhere. His eyes, however, tell him there's no dilithium. Uh, Harry Kim is finding the same thing. There's no dilithium anywhere. Uh, Neelix is wandering off uh, looking for dilithium. And his tricorder tells him, oh, there's a huge deposit of dilithium in this cavern. Uh, and he says, hey, Commander Chakotay, I'm going to go check out this huge dilithium deposit. Uh, Chakotay says, don't go anywhere. Mm. I will be right there. And Neelix says, okay, I'm going to go. I'm just going to go into this cavern, though. <laughs> and I'll meet you there because it's right. It's right here. So it'll be cool, right? Uh, so he goes in there. Uh, he, doesn't not, he doesn't see any 
dilithium, but he does pick up some strange readings, uh, and he thinks there might be some kind of person or something behind a rock wall, but he doesn't know, and he goes off wandering again. Uh, and <gasps> another one of these corridors appears, and out comes our dark, mysterious stranger, who has some kind of strange weapon that he shoots Neelix with, and Neelix falls down. And Chakotay comes running. Uh, actually, and this is another thing that I thought was weird. So Neelix actually sees the corridor appear. Right. And he doesn't tell Chakotay or Harry Kim what he's seeing. He just yells, hello, I know someone's there. But he doesn't, you would think he would say, hey, Chakotay, I see this weird corridor has just appeared. <laughs> FYI, in case anything happens to me. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it made me think of the old get smart gag where, you know, someone would be lying there gasping for breath. Maxwell Smart would kneel down and, you know, what is it? What is it? And everyone around him would say, what did he say? He said, you're kneeling on my chest. <laughs> it was never useful information. It was just, I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah, so, so Neelix is gasping. Chakotay and Harry Kim run up. He is, in fact, dying. Uh, Chakotay says, I don't know, he's in shock or something. So they, they beam <laughs> directly to sickbay. And this is where we get the immortal uh, line from the doctor who says, uh, I wrote it down. Uh-huh, where is it? <laughs> Maybe I didn't write it down. Oh, no, yes, I did. His lungs have been removed. And <laughs> he says it in a very deadpan voice. So it's, it, it's not quite... His brain is gone. No. But mm, it works. Yes. So there, it's, so he, it's exposition. He, his lungs have been stolen, and everybody's freaking out. Uh, Kess comes, <laughs> and she's like, what's happening? And uh, Janeway says, well, I don't know how to tell you this, so I'm just going to say it. Uh, his lungs have been stolen, and he's probably going to die. <laughs> Kess is sad. <laughs> and she's like, well, well I'll, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. You just, <laughs> well, you, you know. You, you have to tell them the truth. She's, Janeway is a straight shooter. Uh, and so Kess says, well, I'll just donate my lungs to, well, just one, to Neelix. And uh, the doctor says, can't do it. I already thought of it. Neelix is incompatible with all of our organs, and our replicators cannot replicate uh, his organs. So uh, we'll have to figure out something. And uh, what do they figure out? Holographic hmm. lungs. <laughs> Which just seems weird. <laughs> The other weird thing is that the doctor uh, in this episode is complaining about how much work he has to do. Uh, mm. And he has to be, you know, he has to keep doing these things. And he has Tom Paris, who's supposed to help him. But Tom doesn't know anything about the medical ways. Um, and I thought to myself, why don't they just run multiple copies of the doctor? Well, you don't want to use up all your computing <laughs> memory right and i guess <laughs> you know if you have too many apps open at once they start slowing down <laughs> right. and the batteries you have you know. to hold down the, the home button and then the, <laughs> one of the, the doctors all start to jiggle and then you, and tap. you start flipping flipping doctors up that's right oh. they go away <laughs> uh but that always uh, i always thought that was weird i mean especially <laughs> in the beginning when he doesn't have much of a personality and he's right. just kind of a program I can understand as the seasons progress and he becomes more and more of uh, a character and he's sentient, clearly, you don't want to just make copies of him, uh, even though right. they, they do, in fact, do that. Um, but <laughs> at the beginning, you think he's just, he's just an app. 
So right. why not install another one of them? And then he can assist himself, at the very least. Uh, but they don't do that. <laughs> well, you know, certainly in an emergency, just run a second one. And then he'd know what to do. That, that is true. He would state the nature of the medical emergency. <laughs> uh, and so he says, okay, there's this other scene that I found odd where Neelix is transported into sickbay. There's lots of medical, you know, sci-fi mumbo-jumbo. And then uh, the doctor asks Tom Paris to, to give him a, a certain piece of equipment. And Tom says, oh, we don't have one of those. And so the doctor says, well, go replicate it. Uh, and then Tom is like, ah, I don't know how to do that. And so the doctor explains how to do it. And I thought that was weird because I don't know if you've noticed this, David, mm -hmm. but, uh, Starfleet vessels have a, uh, large computer that has a robust, uh, spoken word interface. So yes. why didn't he just say computer replicate one of these things? And then it would just would have done it. And presumably being part of the computer himself he would already know whether they had it or not in the first place. That's true. And he could have just, even without saying anything, have had it replicated and said, oh, it's in the replicator. Go fetch it, Tom, instead of telling him to go, you know, replicate something. Or, or even think it and have it replicate in his hand. Yes, a beam to his hand, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> these these medical holograms, I don't know. It's That's just they, right. they didn't think about these when they were programming them. That's right. These are, these are the Clearly. things that keep me up at night. <laughs> Why? Oh, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> and this episode also features Cass in a tiny, a tiny part. She, her basic function in this episode is to be worried about Neelix. Uh, so she worries about Neelix because uh, <laughs> the doctor is going to give him holographic lungs, which will save his life. But the downside is that he can't move at all. So he has to stay in sickbay for the rest of his life. Unless they can locate his original lungs, which seems unlikely. Um, so Janeway says, okay, now Janeway is, is uh, peeved because <laughs> someone has stolen one of her crew members' organs and she's not having any of it. So now she does what's the responsible thing, except for the fact that she herself beams down. Uh, she beams <laughs> down to the planet with three security teams which makes perfect sense and it may once again maybe wonder why didn't they bring a security team in the first place but they didn't uh that uh, hindsight is 2020 <laughs> <laughs> so now they have they are a fully armed security team they're gonna go figure out what's going on uh they can't seem to uh find the the corridor uh but then uh, janeway notices None of the sensors notice this, but Janeway, with her hand, notices that one of the rocks is a little hotter by two degrees than the other rocks. Uh, <laughs> so she does what any good Starfleet officer would do and shoots it with her phaser and yep. <laughs> reveals that there's a corridor back there that they run down to uh, get into this organ bank, basically, where there are vats of uh, organs just kind of floating in. And Harry Kim... Harry Kim. Harry Kim then ha does what Harry Kim does and states the obvious. Uh, he says, oh, does this mean that this planet never had dilithium on it? Yes, Harry, it does mean that. Uh, and then he asks, are those organs? <laughs> you mean the things that look like organs in the big uh, containers of water? Yes, those are organs, Harry. <laughs> I don't understand why Harry Kim is there. Uh, but he does ask those questions. And they are answered appropriately. Uh, and then Janeway, using her tricorder, it has an ability that I have never seen on any Star Trek before. 
where she scans the room and it tells her that there was a life form there 10 seconds ago. Hmm. I've never encountered that before, but it's a handy feature. Yeah, uh, it'd have been useful years ago, but well, hey, okay. yeah, they've got it now. Firmware update or something. Yeah. Well, you know, new ship, new fancy stuff. That's true. It could have uh, the same kind of whatever it has. The Voyager has kind of some kind of wacky warp core technology, so maybe they get the fancy tricorders as well. So they Although find as, as soon well as soon as they did that, I, I immediately thought. Did they ever use this again through the rest of the series? With the the tricorder? Yeah. I, I don't think they have. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those throwaway things. Uh, that it, it's, it services the plot, uh, <laughs> then it is never used again. <laughs> because it helps them find the, the, the mysterious alien that's collecting these organs uh, has escaped somehow. They don't know where it went. Uh, but they find this door, which this episode, much of this episode is shot in very dark places because they're in yes. in tunnels underground right uh, and i've noticed this in other a lot of contemporary shows love shooting things in dark places so i have no idea what the hell is going on <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because I have my TV calibrated correctly to show darks. And if it's a dark in a room, I can't see it because my TV is not super bright. Mm. Um, so uh, apparently somebody finds uh, a door, which I could not see. And Janeway says, yes, open it. <laughs> and so they open it. They run down the thing. The alien is running away from them. He is a little quicker than they are. And he manages to jump into a ship with a compatriot. And uh, Chakotay... Uh, I was going to say Chakotay emails Janeway, but he doesn't. He, uh, that would not be good. He takes out his BlackBerry, sends an email, high importance. Snapchat. That's right. Uh, he communicate. He, he hails Janeway and says, Captain, there's a, a ship leaving. And Janeway says, well, we better follow it. So up they go <laughs> to Voyager. They follow the ship. Uh, Janeway, uh, in, I guess, a, a log or something, says that, their ships are equally matched in speed, so they couldn't catch up. Uh, hmm. And so the ship goes off into some kind of artificial asteroid, which is another... This whole artificial asteroid section of the plot is inexplicable to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you think about it. It's, it's a big-time killer. <laughs> it is. So what happens... Is they go, the ship goes into the, the Vidian ship, though they don't know they're Vidians yet, goes into this asteroid and hides, apparently. Uh, the asteroid has no defenses, no shields. Uh, it's just an asteroid, but it, it is uh, made of some kind of metal, so it's not natural. Uh, and it's, it can't be scanned. So Janeway says, well, we better go in it, into it to follow them. Uh, Tuvok expresses his... Uh, unease with this plan <laughs> in a scene that I actually liked where Tuvok said, you know, J Captain Janeway, I've served with you for four years, so I know what you're going to do. And I'm, <laughs> I, I did like that. I'm yeah. going to tell you not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days I'll surprise you, Tuvok, but not today. Yes, I like that line. That uh, Janeway nice. says, yep, we're going in. <laughs> you're right, Tuvok. <laughs> We've got to find uh, Neelix's lungs. Damn it. <laughs> And so, which are hidden in this asteroid. So, mm. This is a ridiculous episode, if you I haven't just, gotten wow. this already. <laughs> and this is already, we're two-thirds, at least two-thirds of the way through the episode, uh, which is crazy. Well, because, well, we, we have lots of scenes of, of Neelix freaking out while he's in, yep. in the stasis thing with, you know, 
long stretches of the camera focused on him where he's lying there under the little, um, it's not a cuff, but it's like a belt thing that goes over the, the person in the, in the right, unit. So he can't move. So he can't move, but you can't see his lips. So like you see his eyes moving a little bit, but it's, it's just this really strange directorial choice to not show him talking. That's true. It's and, really and odd. that reminds me there, there are a couple of scenes there's one particular scene in which Neelix is freaking out, and it doesn't make any sense to me at all. It's mm. uh, where Tom Paris and Kess are standing next to Neelix, and Kess is talking to Neelix, and Tom is called up to the bridge. So Tom says to them, hey, I have to go to the bridge, but give me a call if you need any help. Yeah. Which it seems like a perfectly polite thing to do, especially since if, one of his friends has just had his lungs stolen and he's immobilized. And, and he's technically the nurse. And you he's know. technically the nurse, so it is his job. And Neelix takes this to mean, out of nowhere, <laughs> and for no reason whatsoever, <laughs> he takes this to mean that Tom Paris and Kess are having some kind of affair and <laughs> that Tom is a walking hormone and all he wants to do is have sex with Kess and steal her away from Neelix and... Uh, Neil well, I mean, going to die anyway, so Kesh should go with him. <laughs> clear, clearly, he's like the Herb Tarlick of of the <laughs> Voyager, and Kess is Jennifer, and, you know, yeah. that must be it. So it was just a weird, weird <laughs> scene. That, my my biggest thing, when I saw it, I thought, well, this is going to pay off at some point. At, like at the end of the episode, they'll come back to it, uh, they'll mention it, and they'll laugh it off or something. Because this is... It's a pretty big scene. They spent a lot of time on this scene based on you only have 47 minutes, right? Yeah. Uh, but no, they, 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 it never, no. no one ever mentions it again. No. It was very strange. Time killer. It, it, they're filling time. They're killing a lot of time with this episode. Uh, <laughs> and so they go into this asteroid, and all is not what it seems in this asteroid because in another weird <laughs> plot choice, <laughs> the interior of this asteroid is full of basically giant mirrors. <laughs> it's, Which, uh, I, I will say, just in the abstract, the idea of being trapped in a mirror thing like that as a ship and then trying to figure out which of the ships is real, that's a nice idea. It is. This it, is not the episode for it well, or the is, way to do it. But. Exactly. Once again, this is a great idea, I think. Yeah. Oh, great, maybe uh, selling it a little bit. It, it's a good idea. <laughs> a and, good idea. And it certainly looks cool. I will give them that. Um, yeah. But it makes no sense because <laughs> this is – so this is – all I could think of was, okay, so the people that they're chasing who are the Vidians, we are now led to believe, built – the planetoid that they were on originally and uh, created fake dilithium signatures to eventually lure someone there who was looking for dilithium so that they could steal lungs. And then they set up so that they could escape. They built another giant asteroid that is full of mirrors inside so that they could hide uh, and trick the people who were <laughs> chasing them by hiding in this, this fun house of mirrors and the ship couldn't go anywhere because they would be afraid that they would slam into mirrors. And then I guess the idea is the ship would back out of the asteroid and leave them alone? Uh, apparently. Is that, this this doesn't seem very well thought out to me. <laughs> and and to, to spend all of that time and effort and scientific training when they could have 
figured out a better way to deal with the problem they have in the beginning, <laughs> which we haven't gotten to yet. We but. haven't even gotten to the, the main point of this episode, because yeah. oh. there's all this crap. <laughs> <laughs> So a Voyager, they come up with this idea. There's another nice scene where Janeway is like, well, why don't we just shoot our phasers at the mirrors? And then uh, we can figure out, because there's also a, da- oh, by the way, there's a dampening field in here as well that's uh, <laughs> siphoning off energy from Voyager. Uh, and so Tuvok says, well, if we do that, uh, the phasers will ricochet off in uncertain ways and we'll probably hit ourselves. Uh, and I, Janeway's reaction was, well... We won't try that, <laughs> which I thought was great. Yeah. Uh, but then Chakotay says, well, how about if we put it on a minimal setting? And basically it's like using one of those uh, laser key pens uh, and we will bounce off all the mirrors. And when it hits a non-mirrored surface, we'll know where the ship is, I guess. Although originally they were trying to figure out how to get out of the dampening field, but then they switched to trying to look for the, the real ship. I don't know. But anyway, they suddenly do that. And as soon as the light goes out, all these cats start chasing. <laughs> That's right. Giant cats come out Nuts. and kill them. Uh, <laughs> and so they do this. They figure out where the, the Vidian ship is. And now here's another. I have another issue with this episode. Uh, I feel like I, I'm just listing lots of episodes and not letting you talk, David. So if you have any uh, lot oh, of issues, I should say. but That's all right, because you're nailing all the ones I would bring up. <laughs> <laughs> but here's my other issue, right? So on the planetoid... They spend a lot of time talking about how sophisticated the shields are on uh, these little corridors that they have and on the little organ bank. These people, these aliens who we have yet to meet, uh, know how to shield things well, is my point. And if there's one thing you know about Star Trek, uh, that you have to know about Star Trek if you don't know it, is uh, they have transporters, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And one of the central uh, kind of givens of Star Trek is that if you if you have a ship that has its shields up, you can't transport to that ship and you can't transport people off of it because otherwise all of the battles in Star Trek would just be who can transport the crew the fastest <laughs> into space uh, and it would be super boring. <laughs> <laughs> and so my point is they find mm-hmm. out where the ship is of these aliens who have sophisticated shield technology uh, and they beam the aliens from their ship to Voyager. But why well, was that ship not having its its shields up? It doesn't make any sense. They they used all the shields on the organ bay and <laughs> they just ran they out. Forgot, of, they forgot to turn them on. Oh, right? I don't know. They ran out of shields. Yeah. They were running too many apps. And <laughs> oh, they, they have they have three emergency medical holograms running on their ship. And yeah. it's taking well, they, up all they the had power. all the Angry Birds, you know, Angry Birds <laughs> Go and Angry Birds Rio and Angry Birds Seasons. Oh man. They're addicted yeah. to those Angry Birds and very angry. <laughs> They're not happy birds. So they transport – there are only two of these aliens. They transport them to the Enterprise – not the Enterprise, the Voyager. <laughs> uh, that would be a twist if they transported them to the Enterprise. But that's how generic it is. Oh, my God. It's true. And then we find out – we finally see these aliens. And this is what I was talking about. I think the Vidians are an interesting race. So we see them. Yes. They are – probably the most hideous Star Trek aliens you will ever see uh, because, long story short, there's this this disease called the phage that they've been trying, they've been fighting for 2,000 years and it basically attacks their organs so they go off and they harvest organs from usually dead things to replace their own organs so they've, they've have uh, advanced medical technology. 
uh, but they have been thwarted. It keeps, uh, you know, mutating so they can't keep up with the disease. And it causes them to look like uh, kind of like Frankenstein's monster because they all have to, they have patches of skin from different alien races all over them. Uh, and they have a hodgepodge of organs. And they stole Neelix's lungs because one of them needed new lungs. Which, it makes no sense how they knew Neelix was going to be there, but <laughs> let's just give that to this episode because there's so much other things that are wrong well, with this episode. <laughs> well, they, they, they go into all, again, mumbo-jumbo about how they, they alter the biometric material mm-hmm. so that it probably didn't matter which one of them they ran into first. That's true. They were just they waiting for somebody. They steal lungs and alter them, and yeah. And uh, lucky him, it's Neelix. <laughs> that's right. And so Janeway is very upset. Uh, and she's like, well, you can't just go around stealing people's organs. Uh, and they're like, we're sorry, uh, <laughs> but we have to because we've been dealing with this for 2,000 years. And this is the only way that we know how to survive. We generally try to take it from cadavers, but sometimes uh, you have to make your own cadavers. Uh, <laughs> Jade Way's like, well, I'm not going to kill you because that's what you're doing and that would make me like you. I also don't want to keep you in my brig forever. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you go. <laughs> and they're like, okay, <laughs> we'll go. Uh, but don't you want us to look at your friend first, maybe? Uh, and so they say, well, let's go check out Neelix and see if we can help him. So they go down to sickbay. Uh, the Vidians are like, this holographic organ is very primitive. I'm surprised it's even working. Uh, they, <laughs> they scan everybody with their fancy little scanners. And they say, okay, who wants to give him along? You're all compatible. Uh, and the doctor says, what? Nobody here is compatible. Uh, and they say, basically, our technology is far superior than yours. Trust us. We can make it happen. Uh, and in fact, they do make it happen. Uh, they give him <laughs> Kess's lungs. Well, one of them. Uh, and they... Uh, that's it, really. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty it's much. done. They, uh, the doctor convinces Kess that she should be his medical assistant instead of Tom Paris, because Tom Paris didn't really want to do it. Uh, Kess, I skipped over, Kess and the doctor have this little talk where Kess tells the doctor he's greater than the sum of his programming, and he's well, really smart. And that's that's really, for me, it was the best scene in the show, because it was the only thing that actually... I mean, it, it was... I mean, obviously, they were trying to do character stuff with everything, but that mm-hmm. was the only thing that actually showed any kind of growth for any of the characters or any kind of change. Cause I mean, that's the training I always had is that, you know, your, your protagonist always has to change by the end. Right. And that's how you know who the protagonist is. And except for, you know, changing lungs, Neelix doesn't really change. <laughs> and right. Tom Paris doesn't change. And, nope. and Janeway, you know, well, okay. She lost her dining quarters. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it, and she didn't but, kill the Vidians. <laughs> right. And she didn't kill the Vidians. Um, she didn't surprise Tuvok. But the doctor actually, the the one truly non-human character, in a way, is the only one who actually has any kind of growth in the episode. Because he, he suddenly starts to see that, well, actually, yeah, I, I could surpass my programming. I, I could learn. I could yeah. change. Which I, I thought was a really nice moment. It's maybe my favorite Kess scene in the whole series. I think that you're probably right. It is it is a good moment. And he also, Kess tells him, well, you know, you thought of these holographic lungs. Where did you come up with that? And he just said, yeah. well, I just thought of it. Uh, and she said, was it programmed into you? And he said, no, uh, no one's ever done it before. And uh, so she was like, there you go. You've created your own pro- solution to this problem. So clearly you're more than just a program. 
Yeah. And it and it feels like, you know, by this point in the episode, you've had so many time-killing scenes that you think, <laughs> oh, well, it's more filler. But, yeah. Yeah. But I no. Can, I can check my email right now. <laughs> that's true. So that's the end of this episode. What, what did you think of it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, again, it had it had nice things. I mean, the I mean, some of the ideas were interesting. I like the Vidians. I like the the concept of what they're doing and why they have to do it. I still think you know it's kind of an absurdly long amount of time for them to have gone on. Using their science to do it this way instead of using their science to, you know, solve it. Yes. But, you know. And also, yeah, just talking can, like a pacing thing, they they don't even come into the episode until maybe 40 minutes into the episode. We don't see anything. Yeah. Then, then they're gone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're really, they're really at this point a deus ex machina just for like, oh, oh, fixed his lungs. Done. <laughs> you know, and it, it's just so weird. Whereas if that had been right up in the beginning... Then you can actually do what Star Trek does best and talk a little bit about the morality of it and, yeah. you know, what's going on and why are they doing it. And, you know, and I kind of feel like Next Generation would have done that right. by That's, this point. They would have had, their, yeah, they would have had, like, the first ten minutes of the episode, Neelix's lungs would have been stolen. And then in the first act, we would have met the Vidians and uh, figured out why they did this. And then we would have talked about the ethics. Whereas in this Voyager episode... The first four acts are all about Neelix's lungs getting stolen. The fifth act is everything else. And there's like a minute <laughs> of Janeway pondering the ethics of what these people are doing. Yeah. Uh, and but the mirrors are cool. <laughs> oh, there are um, giant mirrors, people. <laughs> Holographic lungs and, and giant mirrors. You know, and, and even at the time, I remember wondering, you know, how much of this is just that they're tired and how much of it is that now they're on a network so now they're going to be getting notes you know oh. and i don't i mean the upn is different from cbs and nbc because it wasn't as established but they're still going to get some notes it's going to be like hey do cool things so you know well, okay mirror thing cool that could explain the mirrors um, you know don't don't talk about ethics that's boring <laughs> whereas you know if if like the measure of a man episode had been on on the network i don't think it would have been anywhere near as interesting you know you wouldn't have had this long uh trial sequence whether whether or not determining whether or not data is is really a person and you know it's like there's there's nothing firing on things shoot things shoot things <laughs> i want stuff to explode <laughs> and someone's lungs get stolen come on <laughs> You got the lungs. Give us things blowing up. Come on. <laughs> so I think we are in agreement that this episode is basically a missed opportunity. Yes. On many levels. Yes. And that's being kind to the episode. Yeah. And, and again, you know, you're right. The first season always gets a pass mm -hmm. because they're still figuring it out. But even, even on that sort of lowered expectations, this is just... If this were the first episode of Star Trek you showed to someone, they would look at you and go, what are you, insane? <laughs> there are how many hundreds of episodes of this? It gets better. <laughs> it does. It does. Even this gets better. Even even Voyager gets better than this. This is uh, yeah. not a good Voyager episode. <laughs> it's a bad, bad Voyager episode. Although I will say when, when they got 
what I guess the beginning of the second season when they meet Amelia Earhart. That was that was sort of like okay, okay, just stop right there. Yes, they could still go lower than this episode. <laughs> this is not the low point of Voyager by any means, but no, certainly not a highlight either. <laughs> well, it's no Bride of Chaotica. <laughs> Few things are. <laughs> well, David, thank you so much for sitting through Phage. <laughs> And listening to me in this counseling session uh, expound <laughs> all the things I found perplexing, to say the least, about this episode. I, I do feel much better, and I think I'm going to go play the trombone now to sort of work out <laughs> other tensions with my counseling session. Um, but no, it's, it, it was a pleasure. I'm, I, like I said, I love watching it. I love talking about it, even when it's bad. Next on Random Trek. Deep Space Nine, Season 4, Episode 5, Indiscretion. <laughs>